Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 15, Hiking the International Appalachian Trail. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. The best way to stay current with what we're doing at the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School is to join our email newsletter. You can do that at jmbnews.com. Hey, this is Tim Smith here with the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. We're here in the uh, Massardis Institute of Technology, <laughs> and we're going to talk about hiking the International Appalachian Trail. Last month, we finished our 35th um, long-term immersion program, and three of the guys at the end of the program decided, I haven't lived in the woods long enough after mm-hmm. this nine weeks, so what I'm going to do is make some homemade gear and then go hike the International Appalachian Trail across Canada. So I'm here, I'm joined today uh, by uh, Dylan Robinson, uh, Rafe Bowman, and Jeremy Yates. So introduce yourselves, boys. Um, I'm Rafe Bowman. I'm the leader of the group. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I... 28. I'm from Alaska and I love being in Maine except for they have crazy bugs and every single one of them wants to bite you while you're sleeping. <laughs> cool. I'm Dylan Robinson. I'm 26. I grew up in the Virgin Islands and just about all over the states and other places but uh, yeah I had a lot of fun out here in the woods all summer. I'm Jeremy Yates, 31. Came up from Jacksonville, Florida. Awesome. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm single and my hobbies include gardening. <laughs> Long walks on the beach. Long walks on the trail. How do those people that are always, if everybody, all those single people enjoy long walks on the Why beach. Why don't they just meet each other How at the do beach? they not meet each other at the beach? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. So, cool. So, tell me a little bit about the trip. Like, where you started, where you finished, how long you were out, how many miles you walked. So, where did you, where did you start? Well, originally we wanted to start in the Gaspé Peninsula and walk across that whole province of Quebec down back down to Maine, except they wanted to charge us like $1,000 for all three of us to walk through there, and they were closed. So we decided to start at the very edge of Quebec in Metapedia and walk across New Brunswick down the rest of the trail. Excellent. Yeah, so I went up and canoed the Bonaventure River on the Gaspé Peninsula, and the four of us drove up together to to Matapedia, which is right at the the head of the Bay of Chaleur. I'm probably mispronouncing that Chaleur Bay, um, where the Restigouche River comes into the ocean. And so we had a tearful farewell. I dropped these guys at a little like hostel bed and breakfast. I, the last I remember is they were ordering their second beer as I sped out of the parking lot and just tore it up on those Canadian highways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a nice place. I like that place. It was a cool place. So you started there, Matapedia. <laughs> how many, how long were you out? Like how many days were you out? Do you remember? Um, it was like 16 days. 16, yeah. 16 days. So you basically walk across... The province of New Brunswick. Yes. Yes. And how how far, like distance wise? It was about two hundred miles. We um, the trail is actually a little bit longer, but we really got sick of walking on just ATV trails. It was a like, so we kind of took a little detour and wandered around for a while. <laughs> Made our own path. And and no one knows actually 
in New Brunswick, for the most part, where the actual IAT is. So getting the information from 10 other people yeah. to actually originally find the trail was difficult. And then after we found the trail, we quickly got sick of the trail. And and those 16 days also includes five days of drinking and recovery. So. <laughs> but, I mean, you had a good map, right, leading you oh, along the way? Of course. Oh, of course we did. It was on an iPhone, and Rafe Bowman would not relinquish said iPhone, so we got lost many times in the woods on the other IAT, which we like to refer to as the International Animal, animal Trail. So. Because it was nothing but animal trails. And so, 200 miles across New Brunswick with no map. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But you managed to find uh, several f- places that served alcoholic beverages. Um, I, would I be correct there? Yeah, yes. you, you would not be lying. <laughs> Fantastic. So, um, so you're saying it was mostly like ATV trails, not, it wasn't like a, like a craggy mountain pass hiking trail with your beaten Billy Goats. It was at points or... when we were not on the actual trail. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the International Animal Trail. Yes. Yeah. It's beautiful. No, but um, the IAT is an old railroad bed through there. And it's, it's a really nice area. I mean, it's cool to walk through. But one of the guys wasn't really cut out for it <laughs> with his feet but the other guy decided to wear toe, toe shoes so how'd that work out horribly horrible horrible <laughs> idea walking 200 miles on gravel and toe shoes is probably one of the dumbest things i've ever done in my life excellent so that's a good uh, a good segue into talking about um gear like you know what did you guys bring for gear um packs what did you use for packs um, well, I came up with this really, really, really horrible idea. <laughs> it was an awesome idea when you awesome thought of it. when I thought of it. But in the end, it was like, well, we've never made pack baskets before, and we've never actually worn them for more than 30 seconds. But hell, let's just make these pack baskets and fill them up with 40 pounds of gear and, and walk with them. And that was my idea. And I said, if you don't have a pack basket, you don't get to go. We killed that guy and threw him in the river. So he's no longer with so us. So what? What was bad about the pack baskets? Uh, mine was awesome. I'm just, just like to throw that out there. Um, I, it was just the st- everybody set up their had their own idea for how the frame should be, you know. And mine, I designed it just like a backpack with an external frame, and I designed another pack basket underneath so I could stuff my sleeping bag in there without having to roll it up. Keep in mind, Rafe Bowman is, I don't know, 6'4". Six, six, like, foot. six <laughs> foot. Like, Just because you're 5'4". Huge. <laughs> and like his his shoulders are like as, as the size of my calves. So <laughs> this guy has no problem carrying anything, any distance. So yeah. it's different when you're a normal human. <laughs> so we had a range of, of successes with the packs. Any other gear you guys want to touch on that worked really well or really didn't work well yeah our hammocks hammocks good or bad magical magical yes Mm -hmm. see we had bug nets and jeremy didn't and the bug net was i would much rather just sleep in the hanging bug net seriously who needs a bug net in the summertime in new brunswick right (laughs) i mean that's the thinking (laughs) and the answer is everybody tell them how you slept today well, regardless of the temperature at night, I had to sleep inside of my sleeping bag to keep the bugs off with a head net to keep them off my face. <laughs> so there was a few times I woke up dehydrated as crap, <laughs> sweating, thinking, you know, this might be it. <laughs> but I've had a good run. Uh, it's been good so far, so no complaints. Cool. Um, 
We did spend two nights on a trampoline. Yeah, two we nights did. on a trampoline. That that I I categorize that under the whole trail magic uh, portion of your hike. Oh yeah. yeah. So just meeting. So you met some interesting people along the way. Yeah. Oh we, yeah. Oh yeah. So when we got to Kedgwick, which the last two miles was the worst two miles of the entire trip, right before there. Why? Why was it bad? Because the bugs were so bad, like you breathe and you would swallow them. They were like, you couldn't hardly see beyond them. Yeah. Wipe your legs and just be streaks of blood from all the mosquitoes. You just <laughs> we were kill. running while filling up my smudge pot and then swinging it violently. <laughs> catching ourselves on fire. Flames and smoke flying everywhere. Okay, so you arrive in Kedgewick, and then what happened? Well, we wanted a burger and beer. So, right, the trail literally comes right to the end at a hotel. The hotel where you stop to take a piss. And, yeah, mm-hmm. and restaurant. And we went in there, we got a burger, we got a beer, and then we're like, we're staying here, mm-hmm. and we're going to the bar. <laughs> and it was another mile to the bar. So After our 20-mile day. <laughs> <laughs> so we get there. And the lady, at first, thought we were full of shit and didn't believe us. Which lady? The bartender. She was really cool after that. She was like, where are you guys from? What are you doing here? You guys aren't really doing that, are you? (laughs) (laughs) And then she's like, you got to meet my dad. And then that turned to, anyway, we stayed there all night drinking and... But we had a decent tab by the end of the night, and um, cards didn't work. <laughs> of course not. So she gave us a ride to the ATM, and then to our hotel. <laughs> and the next, well, we stayed there another day to just recoup from our night of drinking, because we could have walked just fine. <laughs> and keep in mind, all three of us are in grants that that night her car was blue. Mm-hmm. That is very true. Her car was definitely blue that yep. night. We Later, walk. it was not blue. <laughs> she sends us, she's like, hey, you guys could camp out in my yard if you guys want. Okay. And uh, we looked, and it was like 16 miles down the trail. We're like, well, it seems like a decent spot to camp. She, I put the coordinates in my in my GPS phone, iPhone, that's crazy. And uh, I walk right up to the where the thing is like, hey, you're here. And I looked. I'm like, hey, we're here. Where are you? She's like. There's no way you're here. I'm in the front yard. <laughs> and I was like, uh. And there was a blue car. Looked just like the one that she was driving. I swear to God. And then I looked at the number. I was like, oh, this is like 234. We need to get to 314. So we walked down the road. And we're like, whose car is that? She's like, that's my car. This one, the red one? That's your car? <laughs> I swear to God it was blue. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> but, but in the Camp Magic thing, we need to go back because we forgot about oh, Brian yeah. Firth. That guy oh, so yes. after, our, after we left, nobody could tell us exactly where the trail was, which we were actually supposed to go left when we got off the bridge, but we went right and down an abandoned road and like a closed off road and went all the way around the mountain. Apparently it used to go through there like 10 years ago. Yeah, because oh, that was where the, there's another like interim trail or something. Yeah goes that way but so we went that way and then after walking like 12 miles we're like oh well let's stop for the night and rafe looks up a huge hill and he's like oh man that quarry looks like a really great place to camp i think it's a target range you can see there's targets up there which was actually like a 500 pound black bear that then turned to the side (laughs) and then walked off so we decided not to go up there we went a little bit farther down the trail and stopped off um by like this one of this old uh, yeah it was like an intersection with like an old uh mechanic shop or something there was a mechanic shop, and there was also, like, an older junkyard yeah. covered in trees and grass yeah. and leaves. And 
It was pretty cool. Just stacks of tires, all, yeah. all just buried. But we so we sat there for a while and we cooked dinner before we were gonna move a little bit farther in the woods. And this guy comes over this truck across the way. We see him stop at the intersection, and stare at us, and then he drives off. And about ten minutes later, he comes back and stops over, talks to us, and we're on apparently his property. And he's met people over the years that have walked down the IAT and. His parents were, his, his father and grandfather were veterans, like all of us, so he decided, you know, screw it, I'm going to take you guys to one of my camps, which was a logging camp I, that he has. Camp, eh? <laughs> and he's like, oh, it's not very nice, but it was actually a really nice cabin mm-hmm. that he let us stay in, that we stayed in for the night, and we stayed there and stuff, and then from there, he, he told us where the IAT was, but Rafe's like, I think I can find it <laughs> down this <laughs> other side road, which Brian said... Using the map that you didn't have. Yes. yes. Which Brian was like, it's down that road, and there's a few ways to cut across, but you'll probably get lost. Don't do it this way. Just walk one more mile down the main road, and then you'll cut over, and you'll be on it. Well. It wasn't one more mile. It wasn't. But still. In their defense, the Canadians don't know what a mile is, because they use some other arcane system uh, called, what, kilo? Kil- kilometers. Kilometers. Like, yeah. Kind of like kilograms. And I've sent letters to all these heads of state. I'm like, listen, all you crazy metric people. In America, we've devised this thing called the imperial system now, and you need to get on board. None of this old metric, you know. Yeah, that's a, old. That's so that's last There's a reason century. why we call it standard. <laughs> <laughs> there's a problem with that, too, is because like they'll go, oh, it's it's only five more kilometers, kilometers till we get to Kedgewick. Which miles. is somewhere between one and 7,000 miles. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> because that sign was completely off. Actually, it said that to the hotel, not mm-hmm. even to Kedgewick. Mm-hmm. And the hotel was a good <clears throat> nine miles away after we finished that walk. Nice. So... Cool. Well, it sounds like there's no shortage of fun, like, trail stories. I mean, that's the beauty of a long trip, right, is at the end of it, when the when you're sitting somewhere like now, we're in a nice cabin, and there's no bugs, and, you know, you can look back and laugh, and maybe that's one of the big reasons why we do long trips, just so that we can have that, you know, that, that uh, looking back and laughing, and that, that Nietzsche moment of that, which doesn't kill me, makes me stronger. Um so food wise, what uh, what did you guys bring for the trip, and what 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 worked, and what would you not do again? Oats. I remember when I dropped you guys off, you said you had something like sixty pounds of canned tuna. Yeah. <laughs> not that you planned that, but just we, that it was laying around and no one claimed it. We so it was did free. have like twelve cans of tuna, and we had like four, four summer, summer sausages, sausages and like rice. We what happened was all the stuff throughout the course that we didn't end up using, like all the oh let's bring these instant. Pasta and instant this and instant that. We just mixed it all together with a bunch of rice. <laughs> and just, we're like, we're just going to take all this. We don't need to put any seasoning in it. And it's like two one-gallon bags of it or something? Yeah, like two gallon Ziploc bags, which was mostly rice. <laughs> so it lasted the whole entire time. And uh, I also right the decided... the last 40 miles. We had to replenish oh, the yeah. last 40. Yeah, that's true. But that's because I messed up. But the oats, we had oats for breakfast, which Dylan really hated. He was not happy with the oats at all. Every morning he would just wake up like a little kid, like, no, I don't want to eat these oats. But it wasn't just oats. Like, we, there was, I went to the hippie section of the grocery store and bought a bunch of, like, fruits and nuts and stuff and mixed it in there. It was really good and it was good for you, but Dylan was not a happy camper. I don't, I think I don't they like, call that the 
produce section of the grocery store. Um, <laughs> Not the hippie section. No way, because it's in with all the health food stuff. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is all organic. In fact, when I was in there, one of the things says product of China, and somebody drew a sad face next to it. <laughs> but Dylan decided he wasn't going to eat oats anymore, so he just bought Pop-Tarts and just ate Pop-Tarts for breakfast the rest of the trip. That was on the last 40 miles. But the oats, like, I don't... I'm fine if you cook oats down, but if you just like, oh, I'm gonna put some dry oats in my fucking bowl, and then I'm gonna pour some lukewarm water in it and wait thirty seconds. That was boiling seconds. hot water. Whatever. It's it gross. was so hot I couldn't drink my coffee from it. <clears throat> Excellent. So a variety of different foodstuffs. Oh yeah. From and we rice had lunch to oats. Oh yeah. <laughs> we also had airplane peanuts, a granola bar, and a slim jim. Of the lunch. twelve cans of tuna we brought, they were like. Five different kinds. So. <laughs> like eight cups of flour too. Oh, with yeah. no baking powder. With no baking. <laughs> yeah. I've done that on a on a twelve day Allagash trip. We like bring the reflector oven, bring everything, and like, all right, let's bake some bread. And I'm like, oh uh, yeah, we forgot the flour. <laughs> we did that this summer too. Did we? <laughs> yeah, the second trip. Uh, awesome. So favorite spot. On the trail, like if you had to go back to one place you camped or hiked through, is there anything that stands out? Like, man, I could go back there and spend a month. The first stop and the second stop. Other than the cabins and the trampoline, like a wood spot. Yeah, the first and second stops that we had in the uh, Acadia Forest. Like right on that side of the Sison um, Reservoir, and then the one that was right off the road. It was just really nice. Like the one on the the trail that we made ourselves. When we went through the raspberry patch. Oh, yeah. When there was well, a huge the bear power out there. Lines. There was that a was huge bear out there somewhere. Adam's Gulch. That yes, there you go. That was our first real day of sleeping out in the woods. Mm-hmm. And that, that was that did, was awesome. Did you see a lot of wildlife? You saw quite a few bears. bears. Moose. I saw a deer. I scared the shit out of a moose, man. Yeah. <laughs> I was just, literally? You watched it poop? Um, I wasn't really paying that much attention. He was laying down in, in this little puddle. And I'm just like, <laughs> minding my own business. And then all of a sudden, like, I was maybe five, ten feet from the moose. And the moose was like, oh, shit. And he just gets up. It's like, he's Scooby-Dooing it. His legs are just spinning around in circles, running <laughs> off. <laughs> That's fantastic. I saw, you saw, like, a porcupine, too. Oh, I yeah. saw rabbits and stuff. And oh man, pissed off squirrel. the pissed off squirrel! Every time we camped out, every night there'd be a squirrel. Every time, yeah. Just, I recorded one, and he's like jumping across. The, and then there's a bird in there too. Yeah. Like, it I was wonder crazy. if you can bring a BB gun across the border because that would make short work of those little guys. Yeah. Or Same ninja stars, my... ninja stars, right? Yeah. <laughs> or my well, you can, you, if you, you're going that route, you could just wear your two-toed ninja boots and run up the tree after them. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> your hand claws. So I guess uh, takeaways from the trip, right? Like, I'll ask you know individually, like, what did you learn if you were going to do it again? Number one, would you do it again? Number two, if you were doing another long hike. Would you, number one, would you do that again? Number two, if you're doing another long hike, what changes would you make? Uh, so we'll start with you there, Jeremy. Um, well, if I had to make any changes, I would spend more time on the pack frame itself because that changed mine like two, three times. Okay. Uh, finally got it to where it was comfortable. And better shoe selection would uh, definitely make a huge impact. Right on. What about you, Ray? Um... Really, 
first off, I would like to say that I would not do the trail again. That it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Like, it would be good for somebody who wasn't into the kind of wilderness adventure we are. Like, if you're just, well, if you're just some Joe Schmo who lives in the city and you're like, I want to go on a backpacking trip, perfect for that. Because you don't have to go through the woods. You don't have to wind up mountains. It's just, you just go straight down the trail and there's no, you can't miss it. Like, you can't make a wrong turn. You just follow the trail. Okay. Says the guy who made plenty of wrong turns on we the We did trip. that on purpose. Uh, <laughs> I was testing your abilities. <laughs> no, um, but seriously, that and uh, the packs were a horrible idea. A horrible, I mean, I I did fine. I, re- I did a good job on my pack, other than the fact that the straps shredded my shoulders for the first few days. And I had to eventually put on a shirt, which wasn't fun. Um, just for the listening audience out here, I'm looking at Rafe. I don't, I think he's worn a shirt once since May 15th (laughs) and he's a large man and he's got a crazy mohawk, uh, going on with a giant beard. So just imagine like a, a large man, crazy mohawk, no shirt walking down the international Appalachian trail with a homemade pack basket in purple shorts, in purple shorts, shorts. Well, if you guys put it that way. Um, no, another thing is, same with Jeremy. The shoes, our shoe selection was the shittiest ever. My my Danners, they were just tearing down the side. and like. But I've had them for a while. I'd taken them on lots of trips. So it wasn't like... The trail itself didn't help, though. Yeah. Rocks. Big rocks. I mean, so I, I think... Sharp. I think long distance hiking on anything, it's just really tough on footwear, you know, yeah. and, and feet for that matter. Well, if you already have shitty footwear, this really doesn't help. But. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. Footwear. Definitely. <laughs> like, I mean, I thought we were going to go on like, you know, nice mountain trails and stuff. So I wore toe shoes, you know, I'd already been wearing them around here and I was like, oh, it shouldn't be too bad. But when you walk 200 miles on just gravel or pavement, it's it's pretty shitty to wear toe shoes. That's a great way to mess your feet up. And I've already had chronic foot injuries from high arches, but that footwear and, um, either spending more time at the pack basket or not using a pack basket. I think, I mean, you guys all, you know, the pack basket and, and just for you guys out there in podcast land, we made pack baskets the last few days of the spring semester. So I think if, I think it would have been a different story if you guys had made them like and had a month to play around with them before mm-hmm. you took off on your on your adventure. Um, just because you know it, it's basically like going to the store, buying something brand new, and then going out on the trail with it. I mean, it would be analogous to that in that you hadn't had any time to play with it; it was all still new to you. So, uh, you know, for what it's worth, um, yeah. the baskets themselves are great. Yeah, they they just, held up. Yeah. Just, Definitely. The frame portion of it was yeah, Maybe. and then it took me a while to figure out exactly how to use a tump line, which By I added far. much later, and that helped quite a bit. By far, my favorite piece of kit though, the BioLite. Yep, <laughs> I really love their products. Customer service sucks, but they their products rock. Smudge pot, yeah, and smudge pot for me that was oh, my man. number one huge item. Like, if you have a bean can with some holes in it and a chain to it. That's freedom. <laughs> but, so tell me, explain, explain what is a smudge pot? What do you do with it? What does it do for you? Basically, it's a tin can that you can carry around without burning your hands, hence the chain. Um, and 
or whatever container you want to put it in and you want a few holes in it so that the fire is constantly sick. Why would you carry a fire around with you? That way, one, so you can have fire later if you need fire, and two, the main thing is to keep the bugs off you. Because if you keep that sick fire going and never actually let it turn into a fire and keep putting, like, boughs and cedar and stuff, one, it smells good when all of us smell like ass, and two, uh, <laughs> all the smoke will keep the mosquitoes and the bugs off of you and allow you to just be able to sit there and not kill yourself. So that right there, that little gem of advice is not coming from a YouTube commando who's never left their backyard. That's coming from three guys who just walked across a Canadian province in the middle of summer when the bugs are horrible. So smudge pots yeah. equal good. Yeah. We um, seriously, like, we, we made jokes about Dylan casting his level 25 <laughs> protection spell against the bugs because it was no joke. Like, that stretch between... The two miles before Kedrick, like, we would have died if we would have lost so much blood <laughs> if yep. it weren't for that smudge pot. Like, I had a long sleeve that I threw on and I was wearing pants that day. I didn't have a shirt on. But yeah, Rake <laughs> didn't have a shirt on and, like, Jeremy couldn't cover his neck up all the way and their necks were, like, swollen, like, a half an inch out from where, where it was. It was it was ridiculous. Yeah. And the only remedy for that is burgers and beer and Kedrick. Yes. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and getting so wasted that you dance the pain away from your feet until, <laughs> until you can't walk the next day. I haven't heard the dancing stories. Dude, I got the video. Uh, I can't wait to see it. Man, I feel like a woman. <laughs> <laughs> but before you switch with the gear, though, we did learn like um, we didn't need sharpening tools for one. We didn't even need my axe. We could have done with maybe one knife or like barely that. Um, that was more for cutting the summer axe sausage. did come in handy on wet weather fire day. Though, just yeah. that, but like we could have still done with just burning the chaga that day that I carried. I also carried chaga like 200 miles to use as tender, and we didn't use it till we got over the border. Nice. Um, That's my used to be my theory with water bottles is that I'd fill up my water bottle at the water source and then carry it to the next water source, then stand there and drink it, and then fill it up again. Yeah. Then I met an old guy who's like, "Why are you doing that?" He's like, "I'll drink at the water source and then carry the empty water yeah. bottle." And it was like somebody turned on a light in my head. And so. see, you said that earlier this year, so I listened to that, and then when I got on that trail, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And that worked for day one, but then after that, when we had 20 miles between water sources, yeah, and yeah. it was 80 degrees outside. I've had to pack all the water. Rake was packing all the water, those Obviously, dudes. Yeah, wouldn't and work Jeremy. There. Wouldn't work but, there, but... We mostly drank my water. It would be analogous to the philosophy of eating in the grocery store parking lot, buying a bunch of groceries, and then walking, and then eating in the next grocery store parking lot. So, in the like where I when I was younger and I used to do those hiking trips in the mountains in New Hampshire, there's a water source every mile or two. So, not like you guys, you know, 15, 20 miles between. That obviously wouldn't work. But, um, but you'd need very little to go out. And you have an interesting, uh, after being out here, you know, there's sort of the, the dogma of bushcraft or outdoor living that is sort of very well entrenched these days. And anybody who goes against and gets attacked by the community at large, if you will. And um, because we're off the grid here, we don't, we don't interact with the community at large very well. But Dylan, you said you don't even carry, you don't even bother to carry a knife anymore. Is that... Yeah, I don't, like, most of the stuff that I can get away, even when I did, like, my 48-hour, um, uh, frozen, frozen 48 during the winter course, I brought an axe and a knife with me for it, and I didn't use them. I just pushed, I only burned trees I could push over and snap between other trees, 
and things like that. Like, I don't really carry it around anymore. And usually in the bushcraft community, there's 40 people around you with like 20 knives on each of them. So like, if I really have a knife, if I really need to cut a piece of string, like somebody else is going to cut it for me. But the knife did come in handy for those three people we killed. Yeah. (laughs) Including the guy who came up with the pack baskets that we threw in the river. (laughs) And another big thing too is like, everyone's so scared about drinking water and boiling water. I'll tell you what we drink. So much water right out of the rivers without purifying it. We probably shouldn't have, and some of them we looked up and there was a beaver dam up there, but we're fine. I think a lot of that sort of paranoia about water is as a result of very good marketing by the water water filtration companies and the fact that most people these days live in urban areas and drink chlorinated water and thus have very, just have almost no good intestinal bacteria. So you guys living out here, drinking kombucha, eating sauerkraut, fermented foods, drinking wild water, you know, you, you build up an immunity to it. But anyway, that's my untested pet theory. But on my river trip on the on the Bonaventure, I didn't boil any. I drank right out of the water. Yeah. Right. So It's, it's awesome there. Like, you don't get the any crap, except for the trout water. <laughs> Ooh, on the other side of the sice, on the bad side of the sice and reservoir, we drank, and that was the uh, fishy side. So I put some fruit punch. No matter how much you boiled it, added fruit punch, anything, it was just trout. trout. It tasted like a trout in your mouth. (laughs) Like if you actually picked up a trout and they got that slime on you and then you put that slime in your mouth, that was the It would probably taste less trouty than the water. (laughs) Well, what I like to do is I like to get a little teeny baby trout and just pinch it between my cheek and gum and leave it there all day to flavor all my water. So it sounds like an awesome trip. So so what's next? What's next for you three guys? I know the answer to this, but the people listening don't. I guess it's me. Uh, for me, my next step is to... No, I mean, what's happening next week? Oh, next week. What's the, oh. next, what's the next trip? <laughs> the next trip is actually Wednesday, and <laughs> Paul, the other instructor here at Jack Mountains he should be for Technology, today, right? yeah. should be back here today. He has this mind about, you know... We're going to be lightweight on this canoe trip because we're going to well, do a 300. Well, tell, we're, tell us we're, about the canoe trip. Yeah, because we're going to be doing a 300-mile canoe trip with a couple portages. Like one's a six-miler, and then there's a couple two-milers, I think, and one one-miler around some stuff. So it's a it's a canoe trip that we're going to start off from the school here all the way down to the ocean. And we're going to go, I think, down the Aroostook, down the St. John, up the Eel. Right the, past the places we just walked, walked. through. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Then from the Eel, does it go right over to the St. Croix, I think? The Eel to the St. Croix and the St. Croix to the salt waters. Yeah. So the Eel to the St. Croix is the old Maliseet Trail, a thousand or two thousand year old canoe trail. And what's kind of cool is this spring, these guys, we started at the very headwaters of the Aroostook. So these guys are basically going to go from source to sea down the Aroostook and St. John and then, and then carry into the St. Croix. So... Um, that'll be our wilderness canoe expedition semester. Um, as they said, Paul Sviam, our other instructor, is going to be, excuse me, he's going to be leading that trip this year. And uh, pretty exciting, but there are some big overland carries, but it's a, a pretty rugged crew of tested guys to uh, to pull it off. So it should be, should be fun, should be interesting. And it's it's always cool to start a journey at your door, you know, and mm-hmm. like whether you're not like, oh, I'm going to fly to here and then get in a bus and then rent a car. Like, nope, if you, there's, I always like that. I think it's in The Hobbit where like Bilbo Baggins made tea for all the dwarfs, washed the dishes, locked the door and then started on their adventure. And I, I love that sort of epic, you know, 
there's no mechanized stuff involved. You're starting at home and going. And uh, I don't know. I just think it's kind of cool. I love the romance of that. I love the romance of those journeys that that don't involve eight million different things. I really just want to call you a nerd for making a Hobbit reference. Yeah. <laughs> the other kind of uh, book-worthy romance that's probably going to go on during this canoe trip is uh, a mutiny. Excellent. Because Paul wants to be all lightweight and as being, you know, his normal Midwestern... Um, Dylan won't carry a knife, but he's sure as hell going to carry a gun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But, uh, you, uh, this podcast won't be released till they're already on the trail, so there's no way Paul will get to hear this. Yes. So. <laughs> well, we've already explained this to Paul, and he's a very passive-aggressive Midwestern <laughs> style of being like, well, yeah, but I've done carries, and this is the farthest. It's like, hey, hold on, Paul. We just walked 200 miles in no shoes. I'm not eating fucking oats. <laughs> I've got no problem carrying a tub full of eggs and bacon. <laughs> For like six miles. That's nothing. I'd rather have one shitty six mile carry that's horrible and just eat like a king the whole way. In a perfect world, you'd have like four pigs that you'd be herding down the portage trail. And then, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, oh, he talked about getting a goat. Yeah. We could, we could have got four pigs for the, how much we had to pay for all the pork. <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you guys have had a pretty eventful couple of weeks and the next three or four weeks look just as eventful so after that so after the canoe expedition um dylan you're headed to montana to work as a elk hunting guide on a yeah pack mule pack mule elk guide service he's actually gonna be the mule yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) if everything works out we'll see yeah you send him a picture of you wearing your toe shoes with your pack (laughs) basket like oh you can throw an elk quarter in that thing (laughs) hike it out 60 miles no problem (laughs) with a leash and i'm walking him (laughs) uh wraith you're headed back to alaska where you're gonna matriculate to the university of alaska valdez yep um and i'm I really like being on the water, which Valdez offers everything from, you could be in the ocean and then walk for a mile and then be in the mountains and then walk for a mile the other direction and be in the forest. So I really like that. I really love Valdez and um, I'm going down there uh, to do their outdoor leadership in aquatics. So it incorporates like canoeing and kayaking and all that stuff, which goes really well with what we've been doing here. Yeah. Stunningly beautiful area. I think it was... 2004, I worked on the Bear Grylls Alaska Mountain Range episode that we filmed in and out of Valdez. Uh, That's st- when he stayed in that five-star hotel. Stunningly right? beautiful place. It's actually there's stories that you know Bear used to stay in five-star hotels and. And I can verify that that's not true. There's no way that hotel is five stars. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeremy, what's next for you after this? Um, I'm trying to go into the. Um... Living Wild Immersion Program up in Washington with Lynx, uh, I think it's Gildan, is your last name? It's, um, it's something about primitive and Stone Age skills. Cool. That's, uh, that's what I'm really, really interested in, um, at least as of right now. <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, listen guys, I'm wishing you the best of luck on your trip. Thanks for sitting down and sharing your stories with me. I think, uh, I think this will be a good one. Um, so the only other thing um, you guys can follow along with Rafe anyway at rafebowmanbushcraft.com 
right? And these guys, I write a lot about these guys because obviously they're my partners in crime. So I, if I go down, they're going down with me. <laughs> <laughs> so I will link that up in the show notes so you don't have to try to remember how to spell anything. You can just click a link. Um, but anyway, guys, thanks for sitting down with me. And uh, yeah, let's get it's, it. It seems like it's a million degrees in the library right now. We've been 85. drinking really hot coffee. It's 85 degrees in here. And we all look like we just went for a swim because we're sweating to death. But it was the only bug-free place that we could go. But Anyway, thank you for listening and hope you enjoyed it.